0: So here's what I'll say. Open your Bible to Psalm 40. If you got a little tab, put it there. We'll go to a couple other places, but uh, you don't need to feel like you got to keep up with them back there. All right. We, you know, we each have access to God's Word, either in a Bible or on our phones or something that we can follow. Um, and so we'll do it that way uh, this morning. So let's uh, let's have uh, just another word of prayer uh, about hearing from God this morning. So, Father, we, uh, we come before you um, as we take a time to sit and listen to your word. Um, we want to hear from you, God. We want to know what you have for us from your. We want to set other things aside, how you would, how you would impact those things that <clears throat> may be churning around in our minds and in our hearts right now, Let that come through in your word of how we should think about things, of how we should approach things, and how you want to be preeminent in our lives so that everything is in its right place. Father, we thank you that you've given your word to us, and we pray for ears to hear, for eyes to see, for hearts of good soil. And we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen. All right, Psalm 40. Uh, I'm going to read through it first, and then we'll go back in. I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me and heard my cry. He also brought me up out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay, and set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song in my mouth, praise to our God, Many will see it and fear and will trust in the Lord. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust and does not respect the proud, nor such as turn aside to lies. Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you've done, and your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. My ears you have opened, burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. Then I said, Behold, I come. In the scroll of the book it is written of me. I delight to do your will, O my God, and your law is within my heart. I have proclaimed the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. I have faithfulness in your salvation. I've not concealed your loving kindness and your truth from the great assembly. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me, O Lord. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. For innumerable evils have surrounded me. My iniquities have overtaken me so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head. Therefore, my heart fails me. Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded. Ah. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, the Lord be magnified. But I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help, and my deliverer. Do not delay. Oh, my God. I find the first three verses of this psalm to be utterly amazing. The rest is not bad. Uh, But the first three uh, just encapsulated in this is just amazing here. We've got first the actions of the psalmist, David. Uh, Waiting patiently for the Lord while crying out. I waited patiently for the Lord. He inclined to me and heard my cry. Crying out to God is not indicative of a lack of patience. Keeping the conversation going with God while acknowledging that his timing is best is a very good thing. Sometimes we stop talking. The stuff that's going on in our lives, we just stuff it down. We don't keep asking God about it. But he's asking us to do two things at once. Cry out and wait patiently. And the two can happen, some of a lack of patience. Trying to go around his will for us and solve the problem ourselves is... Not a good thing. Like the addict who turns to drinking or drugs to drive the pain and stress away instead of working through it. Like the husband or wife who turn to lust, pornography, or adultery because they feel the marriage isn't fulfilling enough. Maybe it's not that far. Maybe it's just adopting a critical attitude instead of bringing your spouse in prayer before God for all that he wants for them, while you continue to bring your desires to him, this is what we should do. Instead of adopting this critical attitude, we bring our spouses before God for everything that he would want for them. And we continue to bring our desires to him patiently, waiting patiently for the Lord. While you, husband, keep loving her as Christ loved the church, or you, wife, keep respecting him. While you look for what God is calling you to and strive towards that, above even what you are asking him for. It's not the ultimate, unless it's in agreement with his word. What we're asking him to fix is not the ultimate thing. It feels like the ultimate thing. It's the crowding thing. It's the thing that dominates our minds. But the ultimate thing is, what does he want to bring about? Staying with this example of husband and wife, I would say at the very least, in in going around God and trying to solve the problems ourselves, at the very least, they give up that idea of oneness. The oneness that God wants to bring about in a marriage, and they've settled or something less aren't mutually exclusive you can continue to bring your requests to god they're a very healthy mix and god's not asking you to push everything down and put on a happy face but he's also calling you to not go to other things to fix the problem or to satiate yourself while you're not getting what you feel like you need Then we have the actions of God. So crying out, uh, waiting patiently for the Lord, crying out to God, and we have the actions of God. God. What does God do? He inclines himself to us. He hears us. He rescues us. He establishes us. And he gives us a new song. Praise to him. The song, the underpinning of the song is praise to him. In spite of everything, praise to him. And then we have our response is to sing the song. Sing the song while we continue to cry out patiently. While we continue to live in that spot that God has said, this is the spot for you sing the new song, continue to cry out, continue to wait patiently. And now look at the result. Many will see. Many will fear. What's fear? Fear of the Lord is a beginning of wisdom. And they will trust in the Lord. The impact that our waiting patiently for God and singing his new song that he gives us, singing the song he gives us, not the one we want to sing, but the song he gives us results in people turning to him. We have, sharing our faith, yeah, we, we need to open our mouths and talk about him, but we have a life to live that shares our faith in him, that says, I'm going to do these things, I'm going to handle these things, I'm going to handle my life in the way that you would call me to do so, not in my default, not in what my experience has told me to do. I don't care how old you are. I don't care the mountain of experience behind. I care. Let me rephrase that. I do care. It's not bigger than God. It's not beyond his ability to overcome. And we need to do things the way he's called us to do things. What a progression. What an incredible path to start off, to begin with, the gate to this path that people see and fear and trust God is patience. Patience. no wonder paul says love is patient but that's where it starts absolutely absolutely amazing verse four we see what is wrought what comes about by trust uh, it's very difficult to be patient without trust you ever notice that or have you considered that i just You know, I hadn't thought about it before. But if you don't trust that something eventually is going to happen, then your patience is going to wear thin quick. And we see that happen. Sometimes they're not trustworthy, but we're not putting our trust in people. We're putting our trust in God. And what comes from that? What is the result of that? Blessed is the man who makes who takes a decisive action who makes the Lord his trust over and over and over again. This is, uh, so if any of you like made the Lord your trust and it's been steady throughout, please, you know, help me uh, because it's not steady throughout for me. I have to decide over and over again. Uh, I, I it's like a course correction, right? You know, I'm sailing off this way. I'm supposed to be going this way. I need to trust back to God. Trust back to God. So then we get a little bit of the of the opposite, right? Of uh, what the so blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust, and the opposite of that is respecting the proud and such is turned to lies. So we can see people, right? We can envy the wicked or the proud. They may not be wicked, right? We look at them and go, oh, you're so wicked. Pride is wickedness. But we would look at them and say, I want what they have, so I'm going to live as they do. I'm going to mirror their actions so that I get what they have. And God says that's not the avenue to blessing." Somebody's proud and in an evil way, they're turned to lies, they're not believing the truth, that's not someone to emulate. That's not someone to make your role model. Don't turn to those things. Keep getting back to the word of God. Uh, Verse 5, he says, Many, O Lord my God, are your wonderful works which you have done and your thoughts towards us. Oh, I'm sorry. And your thoughts toward us cannot be recounted to you in order. If I would declare and speak of them, they are more than can be numbered. It's like I picture I picture standing with God, right? Um, and we're in front of this huge blackboard. And God's like, all right, let's go over this again. Here's my first thought towards you. Here's my second thought towards you. Here's my third. And we're like... Do it again. I forgot. I can't remember. I can't recount them. I don't understand them. It's too big for us. It's so big. It's too big for us. But it's worth finding the ones that we know now and holding on to and gaining more. Stop filling your minds with things that are not of God. Let your mind be filled with his thoughts toward you. Keep going back to the drawing board. He's not asking you to recount them in order. He wants, to the extent that our minds can handle it, he wants to fill our minds with thoughts of him, of, with thoughts of him toward us. It all emanates from him. It all starts with him. We saw a few weeks ago in Psalm 33, right? The earth is full of the goodness of God. Here's another thing. When you, when you start to look out there and you go, "Ugh, what a disaster this all is. One, course correction. Wait a minute. The thoughts of God toward me are huge. I started going off here because I thought he didn't care about me, that he wasn't listening to me. And that, that's not true. Course correction. Bring me back to what's true. Keep on grasping the things that are true of him. If he listed them out, we couldn't speak them back. We can't arrange them in our minds to grasp the fullness of God's love toward us. But keep adding to the ones you know and keep reminding yourself of the ones you know. And bring them to God and say, God, you have said this. He doesn't get upset about that. You know, when my kids remind me of something I haven't done, sometimes I'm not so kind in my response. Yeah, we'll get to that. Leave me alone. Go clean your room, you know. It's not like that. He asks us to bring the things of his promises to remembrance. What an amazing, amazing thing. Then we get to verses 6 to 8. David declares that sacrifice and burnt offering you did not desire. God was never looking for us to make up for who we are and what we have done. And we spend so much time trying to do that. Sacrifice and burnt offering you did not desire. So the words translated here as desire and did are the same. Chafetz. Chafetz. And it means to be inclined to. So if we read it another way, we see that God is not inclined to be inclined toward taking delight in sacrifice and burnt offerings. He double didn't ask for it. I am not inclined to be inclined toward sacrifice and burnt offerings. And that's what we think all the time. I have to make up for. I have to do I have to become. God said, that, that's not my inclination. That's not who I am. Uh, interestingly, the word in, used in verse 1 for inclined, because it's translated, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined to me. That's a different word. There it's ta, and it means he stretched or spread out toward me. I waited patiently for the Lord and he stretched or spread out toward me. He is not inclined to be inclined toward sacrifices and burnt offerings. Burnt offering and sin offering you did not require. He didn't. That word is all" to inquire or request. God didn't come around saying, hey, you think you could sacrifice some stuff to me? I'd really like that. Could you do that? That's, that's in my heart for you to do, to sacrifice things to me. There was no request from him. He can still be pleased with them, though. We go right back to the beginning, in Genesis, right? Abel's sacrifice, God looked with respect on. Cain's, he did not. So what gives? What are we sacrificing for? Are we sacrificing to get something from God or are we sacrificing out of gratitude for who God is and what he's done for us? I think the latter is a pleasing aroma to God. I think the latter is looked upon with respect. And I think the fourth, because it's not doing you any good, His promise to Adam and Eve, his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob to all Israel and the world through them came about long before the law that prescribed the sacrifices. His wonderful works and thoughts towards you are so much more than him trying to get something from you. It wasn't, oh, I've I've done all these great things for you. Could you sacrifice a little bit more? That's not what it it was designed for. The whole sacrificial system was one that allowed us to not be consumed with guilt and that brought awareness of sin and its cost. You can read about that in Romans 3. We'll read about it a little bit more in a couple minutes here. Verse 7, David says, Behold, I come in the scroll of the book, it is David is thinking that the promises that God had made to him were the fulfillment of what had already been written, in the Bible. He, the first five books of the Bible were certainly written by the time David is around. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. And the promises to Abram are there. So he's read those and through his line and how all the earth will be blessed. And he might be saying, behold, I come in the scroll that's written about me. I, I think that's me that it's talking about. I mean, look at the promises that God had given him. So, verse 8, he says, I delight to do your will, and your law is written in my heart. Now, we know that David, sometimes David, like us, delighted to do God's will. And sometimes he didn't. Sometimes his heart was open to God's word, and other times it was hardened. Now, we find out in Hebrews chapter 10, written about a thousand years later, that these words are more than what, if David was thinking it was writing about him, maybe a maybe a slight fulfillment along the way of a greater fulfillment that we see in the book of Hebrews. So you can turn to Hebrews 10, I think it's going to be up here as well, and we'll read through that. Hebrews, for the law having a shadow of the good things to come and not the very image of the things can never with these same sacrifices which they offer continually year by year make those who approach perfect for then they would not have for then would they not have ceased to be offered if they could make you perfect well you did it it's done now you're perfect move on They can't do that. For the worshipers once purified would have had no more consciousness of sins. But in those sacrifices, there is a reminder of sins every year. For it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. Therefore, when he came into the world, Jesus, written a thousand years after David, Right, Psalm 40, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire. You weren't inclined to be inclined towards sacrifice and burnt offering. But a body you have prepared for me. Jesus coming from heaven, taking the form of a man, having a body. in burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin you had no pleasure Then I said, you had no pleasure. They could not accomplish the perfection that God wanted for us. His pleasure is in our perfection. Do you understand that? Do you get that God's pleasure is in your perfection, in him making you that, not in you being it, in him making you that? Then I said, behold, I have come. He takes away the the system of sacrifices and burnt offerings, and he establishes the second. By that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. So David, whether he's writing this psalm, and like he zips into a trance and writes this section, or he's talking about himself and he doesn't know that he's talking about something in the future. When Jesus came, these were his words. And he said, this is about me and my accomplishment and what I want. We find out these are the words of Jesus. And it's not just ears that are open to hear God's word. That's what David had ears open to hear God's word, but an entire body that's given over to God to fulfill the will of, of God. So remember, he wasn't inclined to be inclined toward sacrifice, offering, and burnt offering, and sin offering. In verse 10, it says, it is his will. His will was not the sacrifice and burnt offerings. His will is, his intention is, the thing that he desired was that he would provide the sacrifice for us, and that our reliance would be on him. Blessed is that man who makes the Lord his trust. Verses 9, 10, 16, and 17 I think deal with the new song that God has put. again, that cry is mixed with praise and the request uh, with patience. So let's deal with the cry first, in verses 11 through 15. Do not withhold your tender mercies from me. Let your loving kindness and your truth continually preserve me. In the midst of difficulties, these things are not gone. Tender mercies do not depart from you. Continual preservation does not depart from you. These things continue on. Satan would have you believe that they're gone, that your struggle is a sure sign that you've been cut off from them. And it's not true. It's not true. These things always exist. You know, I was, when I finally saw where that scripture, and I've said this before, that his mercies are new every morning, was in the book of Lamentations, I was blown away because there couldn't possibly have been a point at which you would assume there were no mercies. But there were. Israel is destroyed, judged, and the mercies of God are new every morning. Whatever you're going through, and his tender mercies are available for you. Our enemies and our iniquities can seem awfully big, right? He says uh, they are more. They've overtaken me. I'm not able to look up. They've forced my head down. They're more than the ha- they're more than the hairs of my head, and my heart fails me. i just remember what he said before that his thoughts towards us couldn't be recounted. They're more than can be numbered. Our sins and iniquities are not more than God's thoughts towards us. They are Be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. He's pleased to deliver you. I know from experience that it doesn't feel like he is pleased to deliver me at times. He is pleased to deliver you. And we can say, we can ask him to be pleased to do it because he's told us that he is. So we keep crying out, but we keep doing it patiently. Verses 14 and 15, this will be true of the fiercest of our enemies. Let them be ashamed and brought to mutual confusion who seek to destroy my life. Let them be driven backward and brought to dishonor who wish me evil. Let them be confounded because of their shame, who say to me, Aha, aha, I got you. I caught you. See, this proves what you're not. This proves what you are. It's not God's. Our fiercest enemy goes into the lake of fire like that. Somebody cast him in. Somebody lock him up. One angel comes, locks up Satan, Right, puts him in chains. Not the special, super-strongest angel, just the one God sent. This is one of the reasons that we leave vengeance for God, too. He will do the things that need to be done. And our hatred of others does not help a thing. How about the praise? Praise. So, if we go back to verses 9 and 10, what is proclaimed? The good news of righteousness. What is not hidden in his heart? Your righteousness. His righteousness doesn't just exist, it's good news. Hmm, God's righteousness is good news. The gospel, it's good news. Romans 3, I encourage you to go back and read Romans 3. There's multiple things that have been pulled from there in this sermon. Go back and read Romans 3. Not right now. What is declared your faithfulness and your salvation? What is not concealed your loving kindness and your truth? Which verse 11 tells us are the means of continual preservation for us. God's loving kindness and his truth are the means of continual preservation for us. Not us figuring it out. Not us doing all the right things. But we got to hang on to the truth. We got to know the truth to be preserved by it. I would say, you know, does he preserve us anyway in our foolishness? Yes, he does, but... Gosh, it's a lot easier if we'll keep going back to the truth. <clears throat> Who are these things declared to and proclaimed to? The great or abundant assembly. The great assembly. First time that word is used, assembly, kohel, is in the book of Genesis, uh, chapter 28. You can go back and read about that. Uh Jacob, it's a blessing from Isaac to Jacob after Isaac previously had stone, he didn't really steal Esau's birthright. Esau gave it to him for a bowl of soup. Again, some reading you can do on your own. But he did steal his blessing. He lied to get his blessing. So this is after that. And he's about to go because Esau is not well pleased with him. And... Isaac blesses his son, Jacob, and he says, you're to be an assembly of all peoples. So that word assembly, this is the first time it's used, with the blessing of Abraham, a blessing which was to extend to all peoples. Who does God want these things proclaimed to? All peoples. Almost every time I've read this before, I thought, well, David's just talking to the people in the temple, right? He's just saying these things in front of God's people, and it's good and right for us to say these things to one another. It is not good to hold them in. I think this makes it very clear. It is not good to just hold these things in. We should be speaking them to one another in our fellowship, but this is for everybody. This is to be broadcast all over the world. What is not restrained? His lips. His lips are not restrained. I proclaim the good news of righteousness in the great assembly. Indeed, I do not restrain my lips, O Lord. You yourself know. Connect that to verse 16. Let all those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. Let such as love your salvation say continually, The Lord be magnified. no restraint for our lips. So last week during worship, to lift up and go ahead and do it as we have often done, and I'll address that in a second. Six or seven women prayed, and I said something like, is there not a man to be found to give praise to God? And I'm bringing this up for several reasons. One, afterwards, someone came to me and asked me, was, was my opinion that somehow the women's praise wasn't enough. And it and it's, it's not funny because I don't want anybody to be offended. I, I don't want to unnecessarily offend. I want to be careful, and I, so I want to explain. Did I think that to be added to by a man? And I want to tell you unequivocally no. I do not believe that. I do not believe that at all. My heart is that men would feel free to lift up praise to God in public more often. Not that the praise of women is somehow worth less than the praise from a man. God certainly doesn't think that. Secondly, I appreciated the person coming and asking me about it and not just sitting and stewing in it. So, as much as I don't want to open up the floodgates for all the things you don't like about what I do... I'm willing to hear it. I don't, I don't want misunderstanding. I don't want Satan to cause bitterness to grow up. What does bitterness do? It grows up and it defiles many. It spreads. I can't guarantee you I'll give you a good answer, but at least we can start talking. We want, uh, and and that person coming to me and asking me also made me say, "Hey, Rick, you know," and, and us to talk together about maybe we shouldn't do that every Sunday because we don't want people to feel pressure to say, "Oh, well, now it's the time to praise the Lord." And gosh, is there no other guys doing? It? I guess I got to do it, or I'm going to get in trouble. You can get in trouble for me. What I want. For you is to have unrestrained lips. It, it does. Think about your children and the crazy things that they say, and how endearing they are to you. You have no idea, man or woman, you have no idea whether the thing that you would say that you're scared to say you impacted some way from doing would not be an incredible blessing to somebody else. If you would let your lips be unrestrained to do what? Say the Lord be magnified. Simple. It doesn't have to be this great and glorious thing. So we want to make opportunities available for everyone to praise God aloud, but we don't want to pressure anybody, and we don't want it to become rote. And finally, why I'm, why I'm talking about it today is because we are where we are in the Word of God. I didn't say that last week and read ahead. Like I didn't read ahead and go, ooh, I can hammer out on you know people lifting up praise to God because I can get them with Psalm 40 in the next week. Didn't even think about it. Didn't even know about it. But we are where we are. Praising out loud doesn't always come natural to me, but it flows relatively freely compared to some others for me. It doesn't make me better or worse. It's just how it is. There are other areas that people far surpass me and the things that come naturally out of them. A friend recently pointed out that... um, I, I have a, and I think we all do to some extent, but I'll talk about me because I know me best. Um, we think we are something, and we think we can't be what God has called us to be because we are this thing instead of what he's calling us to be. We're stuck. We're stuck in our ways of thinking. We're stuck in our ways of doing We don't have, uh, even though it might be good and right for us to change, we don't have much confidence in our ability to do so. So can I suggest to you that believing that you are who you are may be the thing keeping you being what you are and not progressing along with what God would have for you? uh this is i'm not trying to change your personality i want you to be free to believe what god says about you i want you to keep grasping for what god says about you and not settling for what the enemy tells you you are i'm not keeping notes on you to see how far you've progressed but guess what? We're a body. And if I'm not healthy, you suffer. And if you're not healthy, I suffer. And if we're not healthy, those that would hear about him suffer. <clears throat> so you may say, why are you making such a big deal about us About this? You say you don't want to pressure people to do something, but this feels an awful lot like pressure. So this is how I would respond to you. What part of what God has called you to would you suggest I say it's okay for you to ignore? What part of your inheritance in Christ would you prefer to not take possession of? Which of God's gifts as we enter the holiday season would you like to return? Me and you and every person, we would either say or think explicitly that we don't want to go as far as Jesus would have us go. Or that we would not, we would believe that we're not able to, and by extension, he is not able or is unwilling to bring us there. And those things aren't true. Judges chapter eighteen is the story of the tribe of Dan. I have a couple of maps here. I don't know if I told you the right order to put them in, but if you bring up the wrong one, I'll. Tell you in a second. There's an expression that you hear in the Bible from Dan to Beersheba. And that expression is supposed to encompass the entire, arity, er, the entire area. And when you look at the original allotments of the tribes of Israel, you see Dan to the west of Judah. They're partially on the coast. They have kind of a crescent shaped territory. Below them are the Philistines. Oh, there we go. So you see Dan in that dark green little crescent there. Uh, Judah there, Jerusalem, if you can read it. Uh, And then Shiloh, which is, I'm going off camera, you want to follow me? Shiloh is here, and this is where uh, the Ark of the Covenant was, over there for you in this corner. Um, So this is where Dan is. And Dan, there's multiple chapters throughout the book of Judges that talk about Dan's experience with the Philistines. Samson was a Danite. Most of us know Samson and Delilah, Samson pushing out the pillars, bringing them down on the heads of the Philistines, and just the back-and-forth war amongst the Philistines. But if you go to chapter 18, and we're not going to read that here today if you go to chapter 18, you read this story of how the Danites, it says that their allotment did not fall to them. They were unable to take possession of it. They were struggling to take possession of what God had given them. And so they go and scout out another place to take possession. They scout out another place to take. God has given them X, and they decide to go and have Y instead. And they find a place where the people living peacefully, they're far, these people are far away from other towns, and they slaughter them, and they take their land, and they, re, they, they make their allotment elsewhere than what God would have for them. This is an incredibly sad story. Incredibly sad. Go back and read through Judges and see that. I do not want myself or you trying to escape the allotment that God has given you because you think it can't be taken or because you'd like something else. Don't settle for something less than what God has for you. Don't go seeking it. They get mixed up in idolatry immediately. So that leaves us with verse 17. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinks upon me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, oh my God. We're going to have a time of communion here. we got musicians to come up. Somebody needs to grab Mitchell from the back for keys. God is our help and our deliverer in the midst of all these things. He's the one that brings us through. Come through. Yep, take your page there. And it's not bad for us as Rick often says, and as is true, to need God, to rely on Him. We have to go back to Him over and over and over again for the things that we need. I think sometimes, sometimes it's hard for us to, um, to believe that the blood of Christ is sufficient for our sins. But mostly we're like, yeah, I get that. Where we struggle more is believing that the spirit of God is sufficient to and all the things that God would have for us. So as you take the communion today and you understand your cleansing, understand that God has promised you more than anything that you could settle for. And God is giving you more than anything you could settle for. So we'll have the lights down. We're going to do, uh, on request from John Wilkerson, and, by, and because I promised I would do it, uh, Psalm 40 by you 2 uh, And then, you know, maybe we'll do some other songs. As you come up, take the, the, the bread and the, and the juice, take them back to your seat and have that time of communion with God. Um, but uh, tables will be open as we start playing. So they can come up as we begin, as they want. Yeah. So I'm going to switch, John, from this microphone to this one.